Hello everybody, Earl at thelogbook.com here to let you know that the logbook now has a new Pokemon. Uh, uh, Patreon. I mean, a new Patreon. If you're a fan of the site itself, its ever-expanding lineup of podcasts, the books based on the site's content, or all those kickin' Kasatochi chiptunes, you can help us keep the lights on and keep cranking out the stuff you like by heading over to Patreon and supporting us either a little or a lot. There are plenty of levels of participation, and there are some fun goodies in it for you, too, no matter which level you choose. Just head to patreon.com slash the logbook to see how you can help. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Ah, the late 70s and early Uh, 80s. The boom years of the video game industry. Thank you. And my game system was the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Yes. Sleek, stylish, futuristic, and totally underappreciated. Let's change that. I'll dig through the Odyssey 2 library, introduce you to each game, offer a few of my own expanded memories of playing them both then and now, We'll see if those games hold up today. Amazing. I'm Earl Green, and this is Select Game. Welcome back to 2017's first episode of Select Game, expanded memories of the Odyssey 2 podcast from thelogbook.com. I'm Earl Green, I'm your host. I suspect you already knew that since I'm the one talking. (laughs) Welcome to the new year, such as it is. Thank you. This is the second season of Select Game, the second year the podcast will be chronicling the Odyssey 2 and video pack software libraries, and, to some extent, my memories of them. Didn't really have a game plan going into this first episode of the second season, because, quite frankly, I (laughs) went almost overboard talking Casey Munchkin last time I recorded one of these, and originally that was supposed to cliffhang into a discussion of the legal ramifications of the Atari versus Magnavox case. And that's actually a topic I want to get back to at some point. However, it may be it may be something to do in a supplemental or, you know, sort of an extra podcast at some point this year, rather than it being the main focus of it, because I'm just I'm not sure how much enthusiasm there is <laughs> hearing someone talk about the ramifications of a a lawsuit without really talking about a game, because you guys are here to talk games. Yes. That being said, we've got a little bit of news right off the top. A lot of it originating from the logbook.com headquarters that I'm standing in right now, so let's get right down to it. In the news. First off, really the the big news, and people have been asking about it for about the past year, Select Game and most of the logbook.com's other podcasts are finally on iTunes. You can point your infernal audio devices toward the iTunes page, the iTunes feed for Select Game, and it will automatically throw Odyssey 2 and Video Pack goodness into your ears every month as each episode is released. Amazing. I've also put two of the other podcasts originating from the logbook.com on there, including the daily Escape Pod podcast, which is kind of today in history for those of a geeky bent, especially if you happen to be a, a sci-fi fan, although there's quite a bit of retro video game commemoration in there as well. And that's a daily show. It lasts usually about somewhere between three to ten minutes, although there are a couple of couple or three days of the year where it goes longer than that, depending on just how history happened to roll on that day. Also on iTunes is a podcast that I started during the break that I built into the recording schedule for Select Game, thinking, 
you know, I need to take a break from podcasting so I don't get burned out on it. So naturally, I got bored and started another podcast. The new podcast is called Don't Give This Tape to Earl. It is also monthly, and it's more of a general interest podcast. The topic will vary wildly from month to month. Although, you know, having said that, you know, having said, you know, this is not a podcast that is tied to a particular video game or video game system, the first installment is basically me waxing rhapsodic about Pokemon Go. So, there you have it. If you like Select Game, you will probably like Don't Give This Tape to Earl because there are plenty of topics in the pipeline that tend toward the retro end of the spectrum. Uh. I've also recently been on someone else's podcast for a change. You can't get away from me. I was recently on the Mark Who 42 podcast which deals with sci-fi, especially British sci-fi, and spent a lot of time talking to them about the books that I have written to date on the subject of Doctor Who and Star Trek and uh, book projects that I also have in the pipeline. I'm just sitting here with stuff spewing out of my brain all the time. Some of it comes out my mouth, some of it goes down my fingers into a keyboard. It's what I do. We have some new t-shirts and new merch at redbubble.com. There will be a link to that on the show page at thelogbook.com slash selectgame. I am sort of piloting a new line of merch that basically commemorates individual games in the Odyssey 2 library. One of them is one of the games that we are discussing today. Shockaroo there. It'll really depend on how well those are received. I'll make a decision at some point as to whether or not I will make any more than just those few few items. Right now there are there's merchandise commemorating individually Quest for the Rings, Casey Munchkin, and as I said, one of today's games. Incredible. Also added to the Select Game site, again, that is thelogbook.com slash select game, I have revived my old archive of the Odyssey 2 Adventure magazine. Every issue is available not only for viewing, but it has been turned slightly clumsily into PDF form for you to download and enjoy on your own. Now, these are fairly old scans. They're sort of, they're not exactly the best resolution. It's been a couple of scanners ago, I'll put it that way, in terms of my personal computer hardware history. These originally appeared on the logbook.com, I am going to say, in the early 2000s, probably around 2005, 2006 or so. And they kind of disappeared when the site switched over from me hand-coding everything in HTML to me doing everything in WordPress. The difference between those two eras of the site basically was down to, was I going to spend all of my time coding or was I going to spend more time writing and creating content? I happen to think I'm better at creating content than I am at coding, which is why you hear me talking to you now about old video games. Speaking of old video games, seems like every other person I knew, including myself, got a copy of the book The Art of Atari by Tim Lapatino, which is fantastic. I talk about that book in a little more depth on my other podcast, Don't Give This Tape to Earl. But the... The one thing that really kind of sparked when I read that book is why don't we have this book, why don't we have a book like this for the Odyssey 2 or the video pack? You, you could cover the entire library of both systems in one volume similar to that, you know, a, you know, a big glossy coffee table book. It wouldn't be cheap. The Art of Atari wasn't cheap, but... I, I kind of wonder if there is enough of an audience to sustain that particular product. I'm not saying I'm going to rush out and start doing it. That's not one of the books I have in the pipeline, for whatever it's worth. But it's just something to think about. It, it, would, be, it would be interesting. I love the Odyssey 2 artwork style, and 
I just, yeah, I think that would, I think that would make an outstanding book, at least as good as the Art of Atari. We are actually going to dive back into the Odyssey 2 library today, but first I wanted to read you some emails that I have gotten from my listeners since the the end of Select Games' first season. Yeah, I have not been short of encouragement and praise for the podcast, but these two in particular, you know, fairly fairly lengthy correspondences. <laughs> I uh, I thought they were I thought they were worth reading to you because I I really enjoy hearing what folks have liked about the podcast. And yeah, if there's something you haven't liked, tell me that too. I kind of need to know. This first one is from Chris Federico. I remember him from the digital press forums. He was Chris Plus Plus. The subject line was your great Odyssey 2 podcast. Wow. Okay. So hello, Mr. Green. Mr. Green. I work for a living son. I recently discovered the Select Game podcast. I heard about it while listening to the Bally Alley Astrocast. I'm about halfway through your existing episodes, and I'm really enjoying them. I'm impressed with the fact that you clearly favor being articulate over using, say, teenager-like lazy English. I didn't have an O2 in the 80s, but the machine has always fascinated me. I suppose it's a combination of not having it back then, but reading about it often in electronic games, and how great a game can be when its programmer is forced to favor gameplay over fancy graphics. I currently resort to using the O2EM emulator, I'll acquire a real Odyssey 2 someday. The console's library ultimately emerges as a successful exercise in using the economy of means to borrow an old composing term. Limits are viewed as strengths because the creator must make the most of what's at hand. The need to rely on imagination and ingenuity in lieu of abundance makes for some highly original, extremely enjoyable results. I've been reading chunks of Phosphor Dot Fossils since the early days, so I was happy to learn that this logbook guy had also been responsible for that material. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for your very <laughs> overly kind letter. Wow. Um, I am <laughs> glad that everyone enjoys the podcast. I, I worry less about being articulate and more about pregnant pauses between sentences because having worked in radio although that was in my distant past I tend to favor just being silent for a moment while I compose my thoughts rather than falling back on filler syllables um I mean I'm sure I still do it it's it's a nasty habit and I've tried to get out of it a little rusty on the radio side of things I'm slowly getting back into it with all of this podcasting I cannot agree with you more about the Odyssey 2's tendency to favor gameplay over graphics, because the Odyssey 2, of course, had that very limited graphics set, courtesy of that Intel chip. And one of the things I'm going to talk about with one of today's games, in fact, it's a really successful exercise in taking an existing formula, putting an Odyssey 2 twist on it, and all of a sudden it becomes a whole different animal. That's one thing I love about the Odyssey 2. You know, if you want to play a port of Pac-Man, you can play a port of Pac-Man. If you want to play a port of Donkey Kong, you can play a port of Donkey Kong. But there are times when I am really in the mood for Casey Munchkin or Pickaxe Pete. And that's uh, one of the things I really love about the Odyssey 2 library is it, it may be short on arcade ports, and yet, it still manages to have a tremendous amount of appeal on its own. It's funny that Chris mentioned the Bally Alley Astrocast, because the next letter is from Adam Triomfo. He's one of the co-hosts of the Bally Alley Astrocast, and I will include a link to their show at our show site, thelogbook.com slash select game. It says, hey, I've listened to the first few of your select game podcasts. I really dig it. After listening to Episode 3's review of Alien Invaders Plus, I wanted to check out the box art for that game. I remembered thinking that it was really good. One look, and I knew I needed that cool sci-fi art on my wall. I searched for a poster of it, but I didn't expect to find anything. I wasn't disappointed, either, as there is no poster of the box for Alien Invaders Plus. Well, there wasn't a poster until now. I asked William Cassidy of the Odyssey 2 homepage, 
to point me to a high-quality image of Alien Invaders Plus. He didn't have a link, but he made me a 200 megabyte, 600 DPI scan of his own box. With some effort and a bit of time, I cleaned that scan up really good in Photoshop. I made the image into a 16 by 20 poster, which I ordered from Snapfish. The cost of the poster was $15 with free shipping because I had a coupon. I bought a decent frame for $20 today. I just finished hanging the framed poster on my wall. Attached is a picture of the poster hanging in my office. And thanks to Adam sending that along, I will include that on the homepage. Since I just went through all of this effort to get this poster made, you might think I'm a big fan of the Odyssey 2, but I'm not. Oh, Adam, I don't know you. I think it's a neat system with some cool games, but I don't own one anymore. I got rid of mine and my large selection of games in the early 2000s. I don't think I've ever been able to get the Odyssey 2 emulator up and running either. I don't feel like I miss many of the Odyssey 2 games much, except maybe Killer Bees, which was excellent, and Pickaxe Pete. Oh, and maybe Smithereens with the voice attachment. Simple, but fun. The piano keyboard cart with the overlay was pretty cool, too. Oh yeah, Casey Munchkin and Casey's Crazy Chase were both good, too. Huh, I guess I liked the Odyssey better than I remembered until now. I actually used to own Alien Invaders Plus back in the mid to late 90s. I didn't understand why I couldn't ever score any points by shooting the baddies. Of course, your show decades later explained my issue to me. Simply put, I'm an idiot. Sorry. I'd love to be able to claim that I just didn't get it because I had a loose copy of the game, but I had a boxed copy with the instructions. I just never cracked those instructions open because, well, who has time to read instructions when you've got literally dozens of different classic gaming consoles with many hundreds of cartridges? Nowadays, I have plenty of time to read instructions because I thin my collection down to just a few systems with only the games I play the most. That's a good way to collect games, you know, by playing them. Keep up the good work on your podcast. You've got the perfect voice for this medium. Thank you very much, Adam. I appreciate that tremendously. You're not an idiot. I wanted to point out, you're not an idiot. The Odyssey 2 has... uh, The Odyssey 2 library as a whole, and perhaps this is because a lot of it came from the mind of one programmer, although that's not necessarily true. It almost seems like there was some sort of consensus decision among the programmers who coded the Odyssey 2 games that they were going to handle scoring differently. In Alien Invaders Plus, you know, there really is no score. You either win that battle or you lose that battle. It's one or zero. It's very, very binary. It's more simple scoring than most Odyssey 2 games. You live or you die. At some point, I'm going to get into the Odyssey 2 you know, the Odyssey 2 tendency to have only one life rather than multiple lives, like most arcade games, as a metaphor for the human condition. But I'm not going to do that today. That poster is a really cool idea. Adam said that he would be putting that on archive.org if there is any interest. Um, I'm interested over here. Now, I'm not sure what room of the house I would hang that in. Um... Maybe not bedroom decor, and, and, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, nightmarish, multi-headed space snake with a space city on its back, probably not going to go in the kids' rooms either. I just can't really see that playing very well. And I also completely understand you thinning the collection down. I I used to have a much larger collection than I have now. And as I noted way back in the first episode of Select Game, I had sold a lot of it already, and then I gave most of what remained away to my local retro arcade for them to use as they see fit, some as display items, which some of those they already have out. Some of them they may actually, in the future, put those out for people to play and enjoy. And that was kind of the point of handing that stuff over to them. In my house, it was sitting in the closet because I simply had too much stuff and not enough time to ever play all of it. And so what I finally did was I paired it back to almost my childhood collection. The one thing, well, really two things that I had acquired more recently that I kept were the original Magnavox Odyssey, which I did not own in 1972, because I was still in diapers in 1972. 
I obviously acquired the Magnavox Odyssey more recently, and I also kept more recent homebrews, repros, and and other releases for the Odyssey 2 that have come out since the the turn of the century. There wasn't a whole lot of Odyssey homebrew activity before that. I think you had I think you had John Donzilla's Amok, and that was it. And for a long time, that was the only blip on the Odyssey homebrew radar. Now there's almost more stuff than I can keep up with. So whenever I paired my collection back, I sold a lot of 2600 games at shows like the uh, Oklahoma Video Game Exhibition, and impaired my collection back mainly to what I had started out with before I moved to Green Bay, and when I lived in Green Bay was really when the, the retro gaming bug hit me. Uh, a lot of that was due to reading the book Joystick Nation by J.C. Hertz, which was published right about the time that I moved to Green Bay, and that was the first book I bought when I lived in Wisconsin. And I, I know other people have widely varying opinions of that book. I'm a huge fan of it. And that kind of got me started on collecting, which I was into actively until shortly before my first child was born. And that, you know, I had a kick-ass game room before that. And I don't regret tearing that down and putting it away and eventually getting rid of a lot of it because... Kids are a whole whole different thing. My son and I enjoy a lot of games. My oldest son, I have you know, I have two boys. One of them isn't quite isn't quite ready to enter the world of video games yet. My oldest is perhaps a little too attached, and so I'm going to be a little bit more judicious about the point at which I invite my youngest into the pixelated world that his older brother and I inhabit a lot. But I don't regret a bit of it, and you're absolutely right. Collecting, game collecting, you're collecting objects. You're collecting physical shells whose contents are subject to bit rot. Emulation for most classic systems at this point is adequate for my purposes. Uh, the one recent acquisition that I really miss that I sold some time back was my Vectrex. Because Vectrex, obviously, it's a, it's a really unique beast simply for its display and its controller. And I can emulate that on my tablet. It's about the same size screen. It looks really sharp. It's just not quite the same. I, I really regret letting go of the Vectrex, but... It's one of those things where, you know, it's not so much that I was young and I needed the money. My kids were young, and I needed the money. So I'm, I'm right there with you by saying that I have gotten more out of playing games than I have out of collecting them, especially getting to share those games with my kid. And there's, uh, there's nothing quite like that experience. So thank you, Adam and Chris, both for those very, very kind letters. I'm, uh, I'm open to more listener feedback in later editions of Select Game, but those two arrived right on the heels of the Casey Munchkin edition that came out right around Thanksgiving last year, so I wanted to highlight those. You guys are way too kind. want to give some shout-outs also to some other MVPs that have helped encourage me keeping the show rolling because there are you know there are some occasional stretches of silence where I'm wondering if I <laughs> if I'm doing it right but I am grateful to the Wizards of Odyssey podcast page which that is another Odyssey 2 podcast that they got an intro episode out and apparently some scheduling difficulties have kept them from getting together to record anymore. I heartily encourage them not to give up. And certainly my perspective is not the only one that needs to be heard on this classic system and its library. So I would really 
I really hope to hear more from the Wizards of Odyssey in the future. In the meantime, they have been terribly kind in the past year about posting on their Facebook page every time there's a new select game out, which I'm terribly grateful for that. You know, this could have turned into a competition, which is absolutely not what I had in mind. And, you know, maybe at some point we will join forces. We'll see what happens. I look forward to hearing more from the Wizards, and in the meantime, I am certainly terribly grateful that they have helped get the word out about Select Game. I want to thank my Patreon supporters. I haven't named you guys yet, and I should. Kevin Bunch and Charles Kunz. They're Patreon supporters for thelogbook.com and its various podcast and book projects. That's not to say that they are necessarily Select Game fans. Well, I know Kevin is. I've, I've heard from Kevin. But that that certainly helps. That certainly helps. I also want to thank fellow podcasters such as Flack and Ferg, John Schaller from the Amigos Amiga podcast. All of them have encouraged me. They've discussed technical issues with me. All sorts of handy advice. I know Flack kind of uh, kind of helped me find the magic bullet that finally got the podcast on iTunes after I had given up on it for several months because iTunes is terribly picky about how your feed is formatted and I was not able to get it to swallow whole a feed generated by a WordPress site, which my entire site is WordPress. So Flack was instrumental in helping me kind of bust that particular logjam and get the Logbooks podcast on iTunes. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to you listening right now. Thank you. I'm doing this for you guys. Thank you. Now, on to some games. This month, we will be covering a couple of twofers in the Odyssey 2 library. The Odyssey 2 library has several of these titles, which are multiple games on a single cartridge, and both of the cartridges I'm plugging back into the machine for this month's podcast are twofers. They are Blockout Breakdown and Out of This World Helicopter Rescue. First off, before I get started, I've got a little bit of a technical note about today's gameplay segments and a a very, very experimental feature (laughs) for this month's podcast. About the middle of last year's Select Game podcast, I suddenly got a new recording set up and tried very hard to burn off all of the material that I had recorded with the old setup, which was a portable voice recorder which had a an audio resolution ceiling of 128 kbps, which if you know anything about digital audio engineering, that's kind of low. I mean, I might knock the whole podcast down to that so it's small enough to deliver without problem and small enough to store without eating up my whole server and everyone else's servers now that it's on FeedBurner and iTunes but the material you start with should be of a decent quality it's it's easier to knock it down and finesse it so it doesn't sound like crap than it does to have it sound like crap from the beginning however I discovered while going through my podcasting folder, which is taking up an increasingly vast amount of real estate on my one terabyte audio drive on my main workhorse computer, now that I'm involved in doing so much of this talking to myself and letting you listen, I found that I had missed a couple of headset gameplay recordings. And so that's really what determined the games for this first edition of Select Game of 2017. So I wanted to go ahead and get these out of the way and start fresh. Now, these are also older gameplay segments in that the audio from the games was actually recorded as part of a video DVD recording the output of the Odyssey 2 that I was playing it on. And so I've actually gone ahead, I've synced up the, I've resynced the audio to that original video, and I have uploaded these two videos to iTunes. Not to iTunes, good grief, to YouTube. Yeah, that. iTunes, yeah. iTunes on the brain. 
So the gameplay segments for this month's podcast are also available in video form on YouTube. You will find them embedded at thelogbook.com slash select game. And let me say this about that. That was how I was doing the podcast starting out, and then something happened. Lightning hit the house and blew up a couple of things, including the set-top DVD recorder that I was using to do that. So I have not done... I have not done recording the same way since about March of last year. Yeah, it was March of last year. It was storm season. It was lovely. I remember stocking up on gameplay segments with the the headset recording method and and then forgetting that I had recorded some. So this is a very experimental way of doing things and it's not it's not a way of doing things that I still have at my disposal now. If you guys really like this, well here's what I will need to <laughs> to continue along those lines. I will need a either a new DVD recorder, which the DVD recorder method was really handy in that it allowed me to just start the game and play it and talk and do that hands-free while I was playing. And now I have to either crank up the TV so you are sure to hear the game, or I have to record the game audio separately, which I've, I've used both methods of doing things, depending on what configuration of hardware I was using. As I said, there have been some hardware changes this year. Um, I live in Arkansas. Arkansas is part of Tornado Alley. Probably about once every spring, I, I lose a piece of equipment. And I have real surge protectors on my stuff. We're not talking, you know, 10, 15 buck power strips that you get at Walmart. I mean, I have real surge protectors. But I also live on the side of a hill, and there's enough lightning up here that it eats something once a year. Some electronic or electrical device in this house eats white-hot electric death. And apparently there's not a whole lot I can do about it aside from unplugging when that happens. And before you ask, the Odyssey 2 is usually unplugged, so it is a uh, it is not a victim of these somewhat disturbingly frequent events. Although I have lost an Odyssey 2 to storm damage before, which is something that I'll be discussing elsewhere later this year. So either I would need a new DVD recorder to continue doing things these way, this way, or I would need some other means of video capture to do more of the gameplay segments this way. Neither of those are really in the budget right now. So this is very much an oddball experiment. Let me know if you like it. At some point, it would be lovely to have either the DVD recorder or video capture and to get a newer camera, something other than my phone, and actually record the whole show in podcast form and put it on YouTube because that seems to be all the rage now. Although, uh, really video is is sort of an afterthought outside of gameplay segments for this podcast. I, I'm not sure anyone really needs to see my giant pulsating face on their screens talking Odyssey 2. <laughs> that being said, let's talk Odyssey 2. First game we're going to be playing today is 1980's Blockout Breakdown, written by the venerable Ed Averett programmer of probably about 85% of the Odyssey 2 library. Here are the descriptions of each variation of the game from direct from the back of the box. Block out. You have 90 seconds to break through a fourth dimensional barricade, but you have to outwit electronic demons who have the power to stop you cold. Arrgh. Breakdown. You have one minute to bust all the blocks on the screen. But you had better be quick, because electronic demons keep putting them back. Challenge another player, or just try to beat the computer. You can even watch the computer play itself. On-screen digital scoring and timing. Full sync sound action. You know, I have to say it that way, because that's the, the marketing spiel. It, now, as far as watching the computer play itself, Blockout Breakdown is a real rarity in the Odyssey 2 library, in that there is sort of a sub-select game screen once you 
you know, once you have the select game screen and you punch in one of the numbers to play one of the games, there's a screen that acts as... A, it's, it's kind of like an attract mode on an arcade game, and it directs you as to which which number to play which variation, which number to press on the keyboard to play which variation of the game. That's really unique. I really... I had forgotten about that before I had put the cartridge in. I really liked that. Now, obviously, Ed's starting point here was Breakout by Atari, which was first released in the arcades in 1976 and has continued to be recycled by various incarnations of Atari down through the years. Although both variations that Ed designed and sort of bolting new elements onto Breakout, they both add a role for a second player that Atari never dreamed of, because in, in both games, a second player can assume the role of the little, the little Odyssey 2 men running up and down, you know, running along the layers of the bricks and repairing them which is really the unique part of this game. And I've got to say, after reacquainting myself with Blockout Breakdown and remembering how much fun that was, especially with a second player, I found it kind of hard to even think about going back to playing old Atari Breakout. I've included a link to the manual and the ROM, which you can download and play on an emulator, or I believe you can play it online at archive.org. It's important to note that in Europe, for you video pack fans out there, this game was released under the title Dam Buster. Well, damn, Buster. <laughs> Let's play Blockout Breakdown on the Odyssey 2. Blockout and Breakdown is a surprisingly good early example of what, as you know by now, I call near-beer arcade ports in the Odyssey 2 library. Blockout and Breakdown, obviously, you just uh, switch a few syllables around and you arrive at Breakout, which is obviously what this game is in the Odyssey 2 library. It's the Odyssey 2 version of Breakout, but the lengths that it goes to to differentiate itself are pretty stunning. It, it really is a completely different game. They can't get sued by Atari for this one. All right, block out. Press zero and then press one. You press zero. And it will take you to a demo screen. It has an attract mode, which is really unusual for an Odyssey 2 game. It shows you basically what you'll be doing if you press one. And then once it clears the screen, it will show you what you'll be doing if you press two. I'm going to press one, and the game is block out. You have a few moments You have a few moments before the things go haywire. You have a you have a grace period while the computer waits. Oh my little guys are dying. The basic premise of Blockout is that you are controlling a bunch of little Odyssey 2 men which are integrated into the brick layers that you know so well from Breakout. Taking each little Odyssey man to the edge of the screen charges him up. He begins flashing red and white. I lost. The Odyssey 2 men can only recharge by touching either the left or right side of the screen. Once they are charged up, they can go to a, a hole that has been knocked in that layer of color, you know, that layer of bricks, and they repair it. They are then uncharged, and they have to go back to recharge before they can conduct further repairs. You start the game manning the repair robots, I'm sure, in keeping with uh, the robot-controlled spaceship and UFO, I'm sure these are robots and not actual people dying. My gosh, that would be terrible. 
You have to keep in mind that the whole controversy over the Exidy arcade game Death Race had happened by this point. And, you know, any allusion to actual loss of life in the video game world was frowned upon at this point. So, yeah, of course they're all robots. I seem to remember the same was true of the very early anime series Battle of the Planets, which was based on the the Japanese animated series Gachaman. Gachaman, oh man, people died. They bit it by the dozens in these horrible terrorist attacks using mecha and, you know, giant bioengineered creatures to terrorize major population centers. But of course, the The fun thing about it was, in Battle of the Planets, once they did the English dub, they edited a lot of that stuff out. And then whenever they rewrote and translated and redubbed the episodes, oh, you know, those guys who, those guys who died, oh, those were, you know, those were service robots, even though they looked like people dressed for a day at the office. I'm letting, I'm letting the Odyssey actually uh, run its attract mode here. So basically, in Blockout and Breakdown, the, the thing that differentiates this from Breakout is that one player or the computer can control this little army of robots. There are four layers of bricks. There is a robot built into each. If the robot is if the block that the robot is in is hit while the robot is not charged, the robot will fall to its robotic death, whatever that would be for a robot. It gets scrapped, basically. And you have these little Odyssey 2 men plunging to their deaths off the bottom of the screen. At that point, the player controlling the paddle can wreak unlimited havoc until a new robot is built. Which usually just means that the player controlling the robots has to wait several seconds before there is a new robot available. Breakdown operates on the same principle except that it's more like Super Breakout in that your your projectiles plow through multiple layers of bricks at once. It is a much more brutal game. You can a well-timed, well-aimed shot can take out the whole robot repair army in one go. It's a neat little game. It's great if you have two players. It's great if you have two players who can relentlessly trash talk each other. This is a game that is very good about that. It is very good at inducing trash talk. <laughs> and that's Blockout and Breakdown. It's, it sounds exceedingly simple. It probably I'm probably making it sound so simple that you're thinking, okay, what's the big deal? This is very much like Smithereens. Smithereens is one of my go-to party games on the Odyssey 2. And the thing about Smithereens is it too is exceedingly simple. But you get two players who are really into it, and it is a blast. Blockout and Breakdown is really the same way. And it may well be the earliest title in the Odyssey 2 library that is that is compelling in that way with the right couple of players. There was your white hot sync sound action, baby. Blockout and breakdown. Now the next two for game that we'll be discussing is it, it seems to be somewhat less fondly remembered than Blockout Breakdown, or perhaps 90% of other Odyssey 2 games we are talking about Out of This World and Helicopter Rescue released in 1979 in the US by Magnavox Now, there is no programmer credit on the package for this game However Interestingly enough I am going to I'm going to accuse Ed Averett of programming these particular games because he is credited on the 1979 European release of the three-for game for the video pack, Pairs Space Rendezvous Logic. The Space Rendezvous for the European video pack market is the same as Out of This World. Now, there was a 
similar game released in the U.S., Matchmaker Buzzword Logic, which did not feature Out of This World. It replaced it with Buzzword, which was a more or less a completely new game for that release. So it's sort of interesting that uh, I think this is a very rare case where the European release does not mirror exactly the U.S. release. And it's really fascinating that the Odyssey 2 games, they, they had a very small instruction set because the 8048 CPU, the Intel 8048 chip, has a very limited amount of random access memory. And so it's kind of fascinating to find that some games are interchangeable. You could literally take one game off of this cartridge and put it in the middle of a European cartridge. Interestingly enough, Europe also got its own release of Helicopter Rescue. And now this is utterly bizarre. Philips waited until 1983 to release Helicopter Rescue on its own for the video pack and Joe Pack market. Helicopter Rescue on its own. Put a pin in that, we're going to come back to it. First, let's talk about Out of This World. From the back of the box, Odyssey 2 Reentry Basic Interstellar Training Simulator. Ha <laughs> ha! That works out to the acronym Orbits. They should have called the game that. Why didn't they call the game that? Probably because they would have had to put that whole thing on the cover. The mothership orbits the planets as you and your opponent maneuver your space landers to the surface. Fire your thrusters intermittently to conserve your fuel. You'll need it to blast off and link up with the mothership as it changes speed and direction. Three different electronic gravity fields simulate conditions on Jupiter, Mars, and the Moon. Full sync sound action and digital scoring for one or two players. Well, Out of This World is really a two-player game, and sadly, I did not have my kids with me when I recorded the gameplay segment for Out of This World. So, it's just me. I, I forget if I was trying to control both of the Moonlanders or not. And they both look like, they look like little Apollo lunar modules, which I, I'm a huge space history buff, and so... I'm a sucker for any game that takes the effort to make the land... The lander could have been a block. It could have been the Odyssey 2 man. I mean, it could have been anything. Whoever programmed this, whether it was Ed Averett or someone else, they took the effort to make it look like a little Apollo lander. And the mothership that orbits overhead looks a little bit like an Apollo command and service module pointed down toward the surface of whichever planet you were trying to land on. So... Let's get to know the electronic gravity fields of the situation and play Out of This World. Out of This World is a game with three different difficulty settings. You press 0, 2, or 3 to play. 3 is the easiest level. It's kind of in reverse from, how you, from the normal psychological expectation of video game levels. 3 is lunar gravity. It's very low gravity. It's the easiest to play. 2 is Martian gravity quite a bit bigger and a little bit harder than the moon. Pressing zero gets you Jupiter's gravity, which will pretty much smash you into tiny little pieces. From the moment you make your selection, you are in a lunar lander, very, very nicely drawn little lunar lander for Odyssey 2 graphics, I have to say. Anyone who knows me well knows that I am a huge space buff. I am a huge NASA fan. I have a stack of patches from missions going all the way back to Mercury and Gemini and Apollo, all the way up to shuttle and ISS missions and Mars rovers and whatnot. I am a dead serious space fan. And I've passed that on to my oldest son. He is uh, a little bit of a space nut too, although he is really more interested in the science of it. Good for him. My head never really wrapped around the numbers necessary to get into serious science as a career. So I think he will do better than me. Definitely, definitely a big upgrade. Alright, let's play Out of This World. We will start on the lunar setting, which is the easiest. You start with, I believe, 60 or 80 units of fuel. Let me check the manual, actually, and see what it says. 
Each lander will start its mission with 50 megajoules of energy. You know, I have to hand it to whoever wrote the documentation for this. That was almost certainly the first time in my life that I had ever run across the word megajoules. It was the first time I laid eyes on this manual back in the day. You press your action button to fire your thruster and slow your lander down, but you have to be judicious in your use of fuel, and you also have to be mindful of what is needed to land in that level of gravity. If you use up too much of your fuel, you're going down and you're staying down. If you crash, you are penalized 10 units of fuel and several seconds while repairs presumably are conducted and then your lunar lander is standing erect again, ready to be fired off toward the command module. The command module orbits overhead throughout the game, going left to right and left to right and left to right at varying speeds. You have to time it just right and there is no small amount of just pure luck involved. So, let's play. Thrust. Thrust. Oh! Stuck the landing on both of them. I'm playing... It's a two-player game. You can play... You can play it with just one player. You can play it with just one player. And like, let the other one crash. Oh! Close one. You have to conserve enough fuel to lift off again and get back to the command module. That's how you win. Whoever returns to the command module intact most often wins the game. Oh, 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 oh. docked with the command module with three megajoules of fuel left. The larger the planet is that you select for your game, the heavier the gravity and the greater the difficulty. Jupiter is brutal, but you learn to manage your fuel and survive. It's a, it's a very, very simple game. But for a kid like me who grew up with his head you know, filled with everything he had read, everything he had seen about the space program, oh, I loved this back in the day. Now, it is worth pointing out that while this is an oversimplified version of Lunar Lander, the Atari arcade game, which came out in 1979 and almost certainly inspired this game, there is a much better and much more challenging single-player version of Lunar Lander available as a homebrew. It's called Planet Lander. It was written by Ted Siperisky and released by... I believe it was released by PackRatVG.com. You can still get copies of Planet Lander from PackRatVG. Now we move on to the other half of this twofer cartridge, Helicopter Rescue. Now, earlier I was mentioning that Out of This World Helicopter Rescue probably is not on the top of anyone's Odyssey 2 favorites list. It's this half of the game that most people seem to hold against it. So let's read the blurb from the back of the box. This daring helicopter rescue mission is a race against time. You only have two minutes to save as many people as possible from impending disaster at the Doomsday Hotel. Hey, they've rebranded the Trump properties. It takes precision flying to get your chopper into position and board the survivors. Sync sound action, digital scoring, on-screen digital timer, realistic flight control, one or more players. Wow, talk it up, guys, talk it up. No game could possibly live up to that. I mean, on-screen digital timer. My microwave didn't have that in 1979. I didn't have a microwave in 1979. That's probably why. Wow. Okay. <laughs> now, just as Blockout Breakdown was obviously inspired by Atari's Breakout, Helicopter Rescue is inspired by... <laughs> it's inspired by the mechanical claw game <laughs> that used to uh, <laughs> used to find it Chuck E. Cheese, or you probably still find it Chuck E. Cheese. Helicopter rescue—it's there's not really a huge amount of skill involved. It's really sort of a matter of endurance and timing. It's a bit of a death march. It's a slog. How fast and how often can you complete this repetitive series of actions? 
believe it or not, my copy of this cartridge, I, and I don't know where it's from, the price tag does not have the name of a store on it. It's not the Boston store, because that, uh, we've, I've run into a couple of Boston store games before on this podcast, and those were clearly marked. This, I have a feeling, came from a little store, and this will mean absolutely nothing to you not living in Fort Smith, Arkansas. It's a little store that was over in the same area where there is a restaurant called Calico County. And this store, it was a video store, and it was there and gone again in about two years. And they carried Odyssey 2 games for a little while until about the time the industry crash made it pointless to do so. I have a feeling this came from that store. I completely forget what it was called. Twenty-two ninety-five. If you can imagine shelling that out for a minty fresh copy of Out of This World Helicopter Rescue. That being said, let's get it out of the way. Get to the chopper! Helicopter Rescue, you're trying to evacuate people from a building one by one. You have to lower a basket and into just the right place so that they will walk into it. You then raise the basket. You can't move the chopper again until you have the basket inside the helicopter with your rescued victim. And then and only then can you take off. Right joystick? Alright. You have to not crash into the building. You have to come in low enough that you can quickly lower the basket, get the guy into the basket, get the basket back into the helicopter, then you have to go to the smaller building, I guess that's the hospital or the ambulance or whatever. Drop the basket again, little guy gets out, raise the basket, I'm down to a minute and a half to get as many people out of this thing as I can. If you run into either building, you will crash your chopper, you will lose some time, and you will come back with another chopper few minutes later. If you even so much as hook your tail on the skyscraper, it's all over. Alright. Victim number two. I am down to a minute and six seconds. Can I do it? Victim number three. Flying in real low to the skyscraper. Graphics are very basic, very blocky, but they really don't need to be anything else. 49 seconds. Victim number four. Oh, just skimmed the top of the building. She just barely cleared it. Alright, there's victim four. Get out of my helicopter. I have 31 seconds left to rescue your friend over here. Twenty-two seconds. Victim number five. Are we going to make it? Fifteen, eleven, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero, and your helicopter stops in midair. I rescued five people. It's harder than it sounds, but that's probably because I have not played it for decades, literally decades. I was just kidding. Get away from the chopper. It's boring. Okay. (laughs) Helicopter Rescue, should you wish to play it, is included on the ROM for this game that you will find a link to at thelogbook.com slash select game. The ROM is hosted at archive.org. However, Archive did not have a manual for this particular title. That's it for the first 2017 edition of Select Game. Thank you very much for listening. If you're listening on iTunes, leave some reviews, leave some ratings. Let's spread the Odyssey 2 and Video Pack love out there. There are still a lot of people who would probably be interested in this podcast who are not aware of it because in 2016, really the only venues for it were the Logbook and Throwback Network. And I'm still on Throwback Network, and I'm still very happy to be on Throwback Network. So... I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just, I'm in more places this year. I'm on every corner for your convenience, just like ATMs and the Psychor. That's all the time we have for the Select Game Podcast. You can hear Select Game on iTunes, Stitcher, and throwbacknetwork.net. 
and you can also subscribe to the RSS feed. You'll find the podcast itself and occasional goodies associated with it at www.thelogbook.com slash select game. If you really dig Select Game, also check out the 365-day-a-year Escape Pod Geek History Podcast at thelogbook.com. And donations toward the site's upkeep and continued podcast production are always gladly accepted at patreon.com slash thelogbook. You can also support the podcast by buying Select Game t-shirts and other goodies at redbubble.com. Look under user The Logbook. Phosphor.Fossils, a comprehensive timeline of the golden era of video games, including the Odyssey 2, can be downloaded at thelogbook.com slash store, which is also where you can find the books I've written about everything from Doctor Who to Star Trek to Growing Up Geeky. Feel free to drop me a line at the Facebook page for thelogbook.com, via Twitter at logbookguy, or email me at earl at thelogbook.com. Select Game Expanded Memories of the Odyssey 2 is a production of thelogbook.com and was written and produced by Earl Green. Music performed by Kazatochi, available for free download at thelogbook.com. <laughs>